This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. It is I, your illustrious host, Sarah Century. I am here with other hosts, at least one. I am one only of many. I'm Monica Estrella Negra, co-founder of Audrey's Revenge Film and editor-in-chief over at Cinespeak. And not so newly somebody who works on Decoded. And newly a host here at Bitches on Comics. It was me. I was too busy making sounds in my mouth to make normal sounds in my mouth. Oh, and I'm your other host, Essie Fleenor. And I'm all the more elated because one of our very favorite people in the world, and yes, we have favorites. It's all of you listeners. And also our guest today, the wonderful, the incredible, the inspiring, my personal hero, Stephanie Williams. Well, hello, and what an introduction. I don't even, I don't even know how to follow that up. <laughs> little tap dance, little... Yeah, a little something. Jazz hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I am so happy to be here to talk to y'all because, like I've told you before, it's like coming to someone's house that you know, you just go into the kitchen, <laughs> you see what they have. Hopefully it's something, but probably not. And then you yeah. guys are just getting DoorDash. That's what I was just going to say is, is if you go through my refrigerator, it's cold pad thai from yesterday. It's a bunch of vegan food. You don't know what it is. You look at it and you go, what's that? It looks kind of like food, but and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's my vegan dish that I made. I'm like, oh, that is so great. So let's get DoorDash. <laughs> Well, since the last time we spoke to you, actually, when was the last time we spoke to you? Because oh my God, been, over the summer? It was whenever we interviewed Vita. <laughs> and, and we made uh, you be a host. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Yes, over the summer. So, yes, time, I don't know, time's a flat circle. So, yeah. I believe tr- uh, leaves are on the trees. So, sometime then. <laughs> It was episode 99. So this is episode 120. So it was 21 episodes ago. Yep. There has been a lot of things that have happened in this time, particularly for you, which is what I want to talk about. You wrote Nubia in that time. That's wild. Tell me about it because (laughs) because as the series is wrapping up, which, oh my God, it's wrapping up, I'm already thinking to you know, the things to come after it. So it's um, it's really weird that time <laughs> has went so quickly. Also that I've written so much and actually written the thing, but 
it's out into the world now. And I've been able to breathe a sigh of relief because like, okay, here, here's this thing that I've been working on in the dark by myself for like months. (laughs) And of course with our, the entire creative team, but like, you know, writing is very isolating. So being able to Mm -hmm. finally show the world like, Hey, this is what we've been doing. Um, is nice. And so far hasn't been met with like tomatoes. So that's also very nice. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how anybody could. These books look amazing. I have enjoyed every single issue I've read up to issue three currently. And they all just look gorgeous. It's honestly one of the best comics on the shelf right now. So uh, good job. (laughs) Yeah, I really appreciate that, Uh, Aletha. Uh, Martinez yeah. and Mark Morales. Ugh, uh, those, yeah, like yeah. They, what a creative team! What a creative right? team! Alita has just been doing some of her best work with Nubia. I'd love the balance of, um, I don't know, like these women could, you know, kick your ass, but also, do you want to ask these women to dance with you? Do you want to? Would you like a hug or a kiss? <laughs> and it's I do a very I fine do. line. That is every with, panel. I'm like yes or fight, <laughs> kiss or fight. And, oh. and then, like, when I'm looking back at him, I'm just like, did I? I didn't mean to write this that horny, but unfortunately, <laughs> that is what that's what's happened. It's simply how it all came out. <laughs> Listen, your true essence is in this book, and if that true essence is horniness, like, what are you gonna do? Well, yeah, funny you say do. true essence because <laughs> in issue four, <laughs> that is said uh, uh, to Nubia by Ayo, who yes, <gasps> Io, her girlfriend. Yeah. What's up? Oh my Hello, god! Hello, everyone. Uh, Io for oh a second. Oh my god! Yeah, Io. I'm so happy to hear that people want to talk about Io because that yeah. is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> I love when she pops up and she's like so muscular and she's all like checking Diana out and I'm just uh-huh. like oh my god I owe you deserve better so you deserve better than Diana and then here's better <laughs> and it's only and that's only because like Diana has never given her the time of day no not for necessarily sure. yeah. because Diana hasn't wanted to like, it's a it's, Kate Pride situation where yes. you're just like you know what you just don't treat these girls well enough and that's why you don't deserve them <laughs> right but um so funny funny story about Io um I had completely forgot about her and the Diana thing like her pining after Diana because yeah. it was just something I had just dismissed because I'm like well Diana's not returning that flirtation so it doesn't exist in my mind type yeah. situation. So when it came around to like outlining and plotting Nubia and the Amazons, I was just like, well, if you're going to let us do gay stuff, we're going to do gay stuff. So, <laughs> so um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, what a, Nubia. What a shocking turn for you, Steph. Yeah, right. Nubia definitely deserves someone that um, she's going to be able to like be vulnerable with and have these soft moments with because a lot of her interpersonal stuff is what we're going to have to focus on to kind of drive the story forward because y'all don't know Nubia. So yeah. Her, yeah. And then that's, that was another uphill battle. And it's not because you don't, you all don't know her because of lack of wanting to, there just hasn't been much to get mm-hmm. to know her. So I thought, you know, I want Nubia to have as much of a lived in experience in the DC universe, even though we haven't seen her. So by her being champion for a long time, I was able to be like, okay, well then we haven't really seen her because she's been, you know, tucked away in the basement of Themyscira, protecting everyone and like keeping stuff behind this, uh, this door. So that's one of the reasons why we haven't seen her like that. And then when I thought of who she would probably have the most interactions with, 
I like, why not the blacksmith, <laughs> right? Because that is someone that is fixing those weapons, giving her new stuff to try out. I'm thinking of Io as kind of like this cue to like Nubia's bond. Um, so also like, you know, creating new uh, weapons and gadgets and stuff like that for her to use. Mm-hmm. And eventually we have a friends to lovers situation. Because if folks don't know me, I love romance novels. So I'm here for all the tropes. So that's kind of how I thought of their relationship. And I was like, if I can convince myself, hopefully I can convince you all too, that (laughs) (laughs) this queen would be here for the blacksmith because blacksmiths deserve love too. And they're often left to be the ones pining after someone or, you know, never, ever getting the kiss, maybe a wink or something like that, or maybe a tender moment, but the love is never really fully uh, reciprocated to them. So like let's change that because io deserves oh and it's such a weird narrative whenever it comes to a character like io who's all buff and muscular it's just like if you go to a lesbian bar and like yeah (laughs) there's a character like io io is going home with someone I am, like, reading at the bar doing nothing. And then, like, Io has 17 wives by the end of the day. So it's like in comics you don't see that representation because people are like, I probably wouldn't date a buff person or uh-huh. whatever. So, like, to them, they think that Io would have no play. And it's just like there's no way. Io would have all the girlfriends. And Nubia! No, like both of them, but that was the other thing, Sarah. You want, like kind of called me out on it because when I saw, like, and I was looking at old, um, like just older drawings of Io and how buff she was, I was like, yeah, that's definitely somebody who's like, yeah, like go get the strap, right? Yeah. And I just felt like in Nubia's instance, again, because she's champion, like this badass warrior, some like she would need someone who can also like hold their own in like you know, without breaking <clears throat> sweat. So it's just, <laughs> a again, top of sorts. Yes, a top of sorts. So I didn't, you know, I didn't want to fully say it, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> but that was just also my thinking as well. So there was a lot that went into that. Um, and I was like, ooh, I hope this works. I hope that y'all believe it. Like I've made myself <laughs> believe now, not just because I put the ship together, but like I am just a Nubia IO uh, ship captain. <laughs> All the way. I will fight you at this point. Yes. Io deserved that. Nubia deserved that. I'm very excited about this. It reminds me, too, of whenever Marguerite Bennett is interviewed about bombshells and people are like, hey, so how how so gay? (laughs) (laughs) And she's just like, I just kept handing in scripts and I just kept going through. So I don't know. Yeah, Um, yeah, because actually, um, so there's more queerness on the way. Um, In ways that, uh, like, again, like, issue four, uh, Io is the one to make Nubia's signature weapon for her. So uh, we introduce uh, Nubia's staff that also turns into, like, a rope dart situation. Um, And Io makes that for her. And the reason why I said the whole essence thing, because one of the things that Io says to Nubia is, like, this thing was inspired by your essence or whatever. And she gives it to her girlfriend because, like, how... How cool is that to have a weapon um, gifted to you by somebody who loves you? And then also for a Black superheroine to be on the receiving end of that type of love and support when often Black characters are, you know, put in that situation to be the support, to be the hype person for um, whoever's going to go do the thing. So I was like, yeah, y'all are going to let me do this? Okay. And also... Io deserves to make really cool weapons uh, that will hopefully be used from, you know, 
books on out. So that was a moment where I was like, yes, you you said that you wanted queer. Okay, I'm going to queer <laughs> the fuck up. <laughs> Yay! And we're, we're all the better for the fact that you have. It's so nice, you know, like like you've you've said, you know, there's been so little of Nubia in in DC continuity. And so I'm curious, like, why then did you feel like the queerness was such an important piece to bring into this run? A, obviously, because you're you, but you know, let's pretend <laughs> there oh, are other reasons. <laughs> well, one of the things that was really so George Perez's run um is probably the Wonder Woman run that is most near and dear to my heart. Um, just simply because I think that was one of the first times I noticed like on Themyscira between the Amazons, like they're very passionate. And I don't mean just in a sexual manner, but like just passionate, period, like as warriors, as their duties to uh, the things that they're they're bound to each other, uh, like the Politan and Philip is having like this this fight, this crying fight. Because Philippus is trying to stop Hippolyta from going after Diana, who had went behind Doom's doorway. Um, and like they are fighting and crying. They're shaking, crying and throwing up. But it was just so raw and emotional where you have uh, Philippus bound to her duty to make sure that she keeps the queen safe, but also her love for the queen outside of that role. And then Hippolyta's um, just burning desire to go after her daughter and make sure that she is okay. Like that was something that stood out to me. And I'm just like, yeah, so this island to act as though these women are not close in any kind of way as far as like their friendships or even romantic relationships didn't make any sense. Because mm-hmm. what? Like how yeah. are Because there's, there's such a community that that just didn't seem right to me. Um, and there's just, just other ways to kind of show you know, queerness in a Wonder Woman book that isn't even tied to who's kissing who. Again, like, have Io make a weapon for Nubia and um, kind of like, again, like these women being able to be vulnerable with one another um, and emotionally, you know, and, and, you know, in touch with their emotions and stuff like that. Like, I just felt like there was just, I don't, the, the, the soil was fertile <laughs> to get gay. So <laughs> that is what we did. Fertile gay soil. Yes. <laughs> Whenever it comes to the George Perez run, what's interesting about that, right, is is that he immediately is like, "Let's go back to the mascara." Like, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to move this back to being a book that's about women and doing stuff together because she has been here, like, with Steve Trevor this whole time. So yeah. she goes back, and it becomes this whole like long story arc. And it is truly one of the greatest Wonder Woman runs probably of all time because it completely redefines and kind of reorients the character. But what I love about it, too, is is that when they reintroduce Barbara Minerva as the cheetah, right, Mm -hmm. that is an equally complex character as Diana. And in a bunch of ways that I don't like, right? Like, there's... It's really hard to deal with her. <laughs> like in her first appearances, you're like, you are truly the worst person in the world. I despise you. But it's such an interesting story because it really does have a lot. Like she's a disabled person. She has all of these issues that cause people to dismiss her. Mm-hmm. And that makes her so 
angry that she becomes, you know, the cheetah and fights Wonder Woman. And she's like the scariest villain in the world. That was never the case before, right? Because you had Priscilla Rich and then uh, Dominique, I believe, was the second cheetah. Those cheetahs were, I mean, all Wonder Woman villains, right, are so cardboard cutout for such a long time. And then you have George Perez come in and it's like, well, first of all, I'm going to throw you into a bunch of Amazon drama. <laughs> <So> yes. <laughs> that's what's going Which on he here. Yeah, and he does. And then it's just like, oh, let's go ahead and give Wonder Woman one of the most terrifying nemesises like in comics ever. And I think that she's super underrated for that. So I think that something that Perez gave us overall is that it is a more complicated sphere. And then, you know, people have built on to that, you know, since then. But I understand what you mean whenever you say, like, that was the one that grabbed you first because that is kind of the one. Yeah, no, (laughs) it it is. And I'm happy that that was, like, so, like, the, the one that I really, really got into the, you know, immerse myself into like all of the Wonder Woman lore and then from there kind of skipped around actually and yes I read the new 52 um yeah. there are things at the very least interesting um mm-hmm. what I did not like was the whole yes we ship these boys off to this island and also like the Amazons coming through like some sirens and like you know just luring men to the island so that they could procreate I'm like yeah so how about we bring back the Well of Souls. Well, young Diana had already done that with the Well of Souls, but I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, the Well of Souls was such, or Cavern of Souls at the time for George Perez was such a brilliant way to also open up the mascara to not just looking very blonde and brunette, mm-hmm. brunette. Um, which I was like, okay, so how do we bring this to 2021? And we 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 do the same thing, um, but we broaden up what it means or we push on what it means to be an Amazon, who can be an Amazon and who determines that. And to say that on a divine level that the definition of Amazon has now brought is broadening. We're telling you, you don't have to look at subtext of a definitive character here that we are telling you is a black trans woman. I'm telling you that Themyscira is, of course, full of trans women. And I would hope at some point that we can even move further past that. Um, And we have non-binary Amazons and trans men. So I just want to know, like, how did you come up with, like, her character arc? And, like, what do you uh, see Themyscira, like, eventually becoming because of, like, trans inclusion? Specifically Black trans inclusion. Um, I just... um... I don't like, I was just like, I would like a badass character who is going to keep folks in line, not just physically, but like just pushing them to think about things a little bit differently. Um, So a uh, spoiler alert, Bia is a new oracle. Um, The only oracle on the island at the time before she arrived was Penelope. I think Penelope might have been an oracle at some point, but she isn't currently. But anyway, I don't know. When I think of oracles, I think of them as folks who hold wisdom, um, can steer things in hopefully a better direction. Um, and that's what I want Bia to represent because on a very meta level, uh, obviously her inclusion now uh, on Themyscira in a very definitive way does that. But let's just say like within the comics, her being an oracle, um, I want her to have that type of um, responsibility. And for Nubia to listen to her and take her counsel, uh, which we have see a little bit of in issue four when they're trying to figure out, like, what the hell do we do with Medusa? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, like, I couldn't help but think about, like, 
how uh, trans and queer people like in African societies, like before colonization like occurred, um, were oftentimes seen as like sages or oracles Mm -hmm. or people that were very detrimental to figuring out like what their community's problems were and like just trying to keep things in line. And that's definitely where I saw like Via's like character like grow into. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is actually just like a reclamation of like (laughs) pre-colonized, like Western, whatever the fuck, like of like demonizing, like of like queer and trans people within like the black community. But then also just like the fact that like there are so many black trans women that have been out in the streets, like during like the great uprising that have been like first and foremost saying like, we need to take care of our entire communities, not just like black men. Like we need to be out in the streets for everybody. And um, yeah, that was like the first thing. And I was just like yelling in my chair. I was like, this is fucking awesome. We're going to reclaim it all. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and that was just like the, as I've been learning, um, comics is just a really beautiful medium because um, you can say so much without actually saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd, I'd like, again, like having Bia be an oracle for all the reasons that you just mentioned, it's just a nice... I don't even want to say a nod. I feel like it's more than that. But just like a saying, hey, you're valued in this fictional world, but also like you are seriously valued in real life. And I hope that this character represents um, Black trans women uh, to the best of my ability so that when I am no longer writing this character, mm-hmm. which I hope is soon, because I would like, I would love to see a Black trans woman take Nubia. I mean, I mean, well, yeah, Nubia actually too, but be a two heights that I just never could or never can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another reason to have Bia exist so that uh, when someone else comes along that they are not fighting to just have this character exist. So I'm like blowing the doors, hopefully wide open. Um, and DC won't be able to put a lid on that because Bia now exists um, and there's no mm-hmm. way to be like, oh, this is subtext. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Like, can you just like imagine like Bia having like her own comic and like sure what can. that world would like look like? Like, what would you what would you like her to do like in her like future arc? I don't know if that's like a really big question. No, but like I would love to see Bia on someone's team. So like the other thing with um, this series, of course, like reintroducing the Amazons as much as Nubia is to give them like similar to the Bat Family where, you know, like personality and like who brings what when they show up where. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I want folks to start thinking of the Amazons. So definitely Bia, like for her to show up on someone's team. And just be out there to be the the oracle, the voice of reason, also to bring some Amazon muscle in. Um, like, I would love to see her leave the mascara, not only because she's pushing them, but push the rest of the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that she's able to do that. It's really weird playing in this world because of how it's just very, can get very gender binary. And then it, yeah. again, it's just like, okay, yes, around the time that, you know, all of these these characters and these ideas and stuff were introduced, sure, but why are we still beholden to that? Why are we still holding these characters to that? It's fictional. So like Truly. let's like let's explore that and push it because it like that deserves. I feel like any I mean, for any world period, like it really needs to um take in consideration just our real world because it informs our imagination. So if we're limiting ourselves to what we can imagine then, like, what's the point? Yeah. Also, Steph, were you absolutely gagging when we were doing the FlameCon panel and someone asked about, like, 
the gender binary and the mascara because you like you have all these machinations you were doing and but you couldn't talk about them. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> of course it was like on pins and needles. Um, and that's just kind of how it's been as each issue has come out because I've seen folks bring up stuff and I'm like, yeah, like just wait. It's there. Um, it's an issue for. <laughs> yeah. And like, even with the, the reintroduction of Medusa. So again, kind of looking at what George Perez did with Cheetah, Medusa was always a character who I was like, man, we gotta, we gotta do a little bit more. Um, because there is a wealth of stuff that's fucked up with Medusa that, uh, actually fits so perfectly in the Wonder Woman uh, universe because it challenges yet again what it means to be an Amazon and what that is like for the women on that island because Medusa is essentially cursed or gifted, depending on the way you look at it, by Athena, one of the goddesses that blesses the Amazons. And Medusa is sequestered away behind Doom's doorway, the basement hill of Themyscira. So what does that look like? Uh, Because you've got... You know, I don't like the gods are messy. Uh, so I'm like, if uh, Nubia is having to deal with a character who has a pretty complicated and just tragic backstory, and she's been, um, you know, not her official jailer, but one of the reasons why Medusa has been unable to get from behind the door, like, what is that? Like, what does that look like? And what does that say about? Uh, the Amazons and the way that they've kind of beholded themselves to what the gods have asked of them, which is to guard Doom's doorway. Because is it not true that sometimes people don't actually enter, you know, prisons or whatever monsters, but being there turns them into that because they have to survive? Yeah. Oh, man, Medusa, too. That visual, that cover that's... uh Nubia oh, and Medusa's faces. Alita I can't. Just, I can't. <laughs> I fell out my chair. So that was another thing so where beautiful. I had got that like maybe a month ahead of time. And I was just yeah. like, wait, I gotta wait. <laughs> I can't tell people about this. It's so amazing. And Medusa is such an interesting character. That's another thing about Wonder Woman, right? Is is that mm-hmm. they have so much mythology that's kind of just comes with the box. Like it's like Thor or something where you go, oh, neat, (laughs) cool. Well, now I have Medusa and nobody's ever really followed up on that. So I guess I can just jump right in. And it's just like Medusa is one of the best visuals of all time. If you did nothing else with Medusa other than have Medusa show up, like (laughs) you're doing great because that's it, right? Like I remember seeing Medusa in the Clash of the Titans movie back whenever I was a super little kid. I have this image of the claymation of Clash of the Titans just going on repeat in my head. And I feel like Wonder Woman does that with a lot of characters. There's, mm-hmm. you know, Ares is a completely different character in this than in almost any other franchise. So I think that that's a big part of Wonder Woman. So did you think that the mythology aspect of it was something that was fun to play around in? Absolutely, because mythology isn't even so like, of course, I'm familiar with mythology because yeah. how do you like, you know, like, how do you go about life without ever knowing anything? Um, but I don't know, like I wasn't, I guess, immersed in it in a way that I felt comfortable enough because listen, the amount of research that I had to do uh, coming into this title was so much uh, <laughs> from the Wonder Woman side of things, because again, yeah. like Nubia doesn't have much of anything. So I'm like having to pull from other things to kind of figure out like 
what she's doing, like what the mascara looks like, what these Amazons are doing and saying. And then I wanted to bring, make sure that I included like the Greek gods in some way, because they are very much a part of the Wonder Woman lore. So uh, Cersei by Madeline Miller was the very first thing that I read, which I'm so happy that I did. Because yep. I love, because <laughs> I love that for the most part, for the folks who read that book, like all the villains are women. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yes, let's let's uh, let's lean into that to kind of drive the interpersonal things going on on Themyscira. I was like, yeah. So if I have it where you know these women are kind of beefing with each other, or there's a villain that can come in and play on uh, the fact that you know they can walk the streets at night and not care you know, because they know that they're safe, that would be really, really helpful. So um, Cersei was the the book that made me say, yeah, like, so you don't have to include, you know, men in this. Like, just, just focus on who's here. Uh, and I think the only time men show up in this book is to one get punched. And I think that's it. I think that is literally the one time the, a man speaks. He gets Perfect. So, Perfect. <laughs> and that wasn't on purpose, but... Uh, you know, it is called Nubian the Amazon. So, like, let's focus on happy accidents. We'll take them. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but it was really fun. I even watched Three Hundred. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me why I watched Three Hundred. Um, <laughs> I think it was just one of those nights where I was just like, "Well, I'm already here." I watched Troy, which I had never seen before, yep. which which is hilarious. I'm like, yep. "Wow, y'all!" So just no guys in this, huh? It was it was fun because you know I love doing some research. So, um, and I had a friend who was like my go-to, um, his name is Aaron Reese. And he was like my go-to for all Greek mythology. Cause he was like, here, I think you should like, so like he was, he just, he would give me stuff that, um, was kind of still tailored to what I would find interesting. And you know, the Greek gods are messy. So that wasn't very mm-hmm. hard. <laughs> I was curious too. Did you, have you read a uh, song of Achilles? Yes. By Madel- so, okay. That was a oh my God. right afterwards. <laughs> um, yeah. And I love how uh, she went about writing that relationship and a lot of the soft oh my moments too. So I will cry forever. That yes. was such a book. <laughs> so if any of that vibe is coming off a newbie of Amazon's, then mm-hmm. you are correct. Yes. Yes. Hey there, listeners. Do you like the pod? You like our general vibe? You want to see us eat meals, survive, thrive in the world, come back with the podcast, be cool all the time, make money, get cars. I don't know. At that point, I was just buy new shoes, buy new shoes, get a pony, invest in Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to go ahead and argue with that last one. But otherwise, I am there with you. I'm not going to invest in Bitcoin. But hey, if you want to see us, you know, be financially soluble, <laughs> please join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. We have tons of content there. We have, I think it's like a hundred back episodes. So those are things that range from talking about individual independent comics that we like as, you know, each of us on our own together to talking about why Nona Earp, why we loved it so much. Yes, we had a bonus episode about it before we had a mainstream episode about it. Who could say why? Why not? We have our cage match episodes, which are just 
so wild. We just compare two Nicolas Cage films and then decide which is cagier. And it's probably the highlight of my life, if I'm being <laughs> honest. We also have our intoxicated comic special that we do where we get a little bit woohoo and then talk about weird comics. Sometimes we have a great time and sometimes we're like, what have we done? <laughs> and either way, it's pretty funny. We also have exclusive interviews with smaller creators, all kinds of different stuff. We basically use our Patreon as an opportunity to put more good comics info out there. Oh my goodness, a very pretty bird just landed outside my window. Oh, in this spot. We got to talk about this bird. All right, let's get through it. This bird has a little red head. Oh, it flew away. Beautiful little bird. Thank you, bird. So yeah, you know, come join us on Patreon so I can look at more birds. We're yeah. at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. You got to spell it out. You can't go to patreon.com and then search us because we're, I don't know, bitches. we curse too much. We're some, we're some, they're like, <laughs> you sound like some real bitches. So we're not going to make you searchable. And we were like, fair. Fair. Harsh, but fair. Yeah, Harsh, I deserve that. Fair. I deserve it. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm.
I do wonder, um, how has it been since uh, Nubia and the Amazons has been released personally for you, like within like the comics world and everything else? Like, how have you considered your interactions with people and like what kind of feedback have you gotten? Um, so on the whole, pretty like positive, of course, like, you know, crap seeps through every now and again. But yeah. I want to say that um, going to the in-person events were the moments where I just really realized like, okay, so you're writing this comic, but you're also doing impactful work, which mm-hmm. you don't know until like someone tells you that. You don't ever want to just assume that, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing the, I'm doing the thing. Right. Um, because, um... At my first signing, which was at Heroes Aren't Hard to Find, I have a had someone come up to me and their sister is trans. Um, so he was just telling me all of the things and how much um, you know, Bia's inclusion into Nubian Amazons meant to her and to him to uh for her like to just experience her her happiness over that night. That brought me to tears because like again, you know, Bia was not created to like check off any check boxes or boxes or anything like that. Like Bia is a character that was introduced in love as all of the Amazons that we've introduced have mm-hmm. been, especially Nubia. So that meant a lot. Um, and when I was at Emerald City Comic Con, I had a black teenage girl come up to me and first she was like shy and her mom had to talk her into like walking up to me. I'm like, hey, I'm very approachable. Like, there's no reason at all for you to be shy. Like, if anything, I am just as excited to meet you as you are me. And to have her tell me how important Nubia is to her and this comic has been, like, that meant a lot. Uh, Because I can only imagine being her age and hopefully, like, reading a comic that way where you see yourself um, not just as a superhero, but, like, (laughs) this fully actualized character who also has uh, doubts. Even Mm -hmm. though she's been champion of Dune's doorway and is you know, extremely competent and all these other things, but she is still given space to um, have some self-doubt, but also have someone there or just a cast of folks there to support her in that and also challenge her, even though they can be kind of jerks about it, looking at you if a theme. So that meant a ton, but on the whole, it has been uh, severely positive, and I'm just really thankful that um, for the folks that this book has, the series has touched so far, mm-hmm. um, that it has, because I didn't know if Nubia and the Amazon was going to be the only thing or the only series that I ever wrote. Um, so it was really like go for broke and make sure that when you leave, folks knew that you were here. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And also that's super cute about like the girl being really shy and like this like moment of like weird celebrity that happens where you're just like, I just did this thing and I just wrote it like I'm still like, yeah, that's like paying bills. I was sorry. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, do not put me on a pedestal. (laughs) Like I'm still grinding out here, basically. Um. I did have a question about art, and I know that uh, Aletha Martinez, Mark Morales, and Emilio Lopez were in charge of art, and I'm just curious about the hairstyles, because the hairstyles were amazing, Um, and I wanted to know if you had any, like, direction with that, or did you have any notes about that? Because we all know that, like, Black hair in comics and in animation has always been, like, a controversial talking point, because it sometimes it's done really well, and then sometimes it's done really bad, and it's just, like, really generic. But I could definitely, like, see, like, the authenticity of, like, the various hairstyles for Black characters in the book. And I just wanted to know, like, did you have any, like, direct notes or, like, reference points that you had to give? 
Absolutely. So um, I think I even put all the way down to like the specific hair texture for a lot of the characters, um, even their skin tones. So using the Fenty Foundation skin t- uh, chart to, um, yeah, to like, okay. hey, we would like this way or that. Like, let mm-hmm. me be very specific. Um, and the funny thing with uh, Andromeda, who is one of the new characters that was introduced, her hair wasn't supposed to be straight. So okay. That was a matter of just, it takes a lot to make comics and sometimes mm-hmm. it could be just very hectic. And right. on the cover of issue two, um, Aletha had thought that it was supposed to be Artemis. So that is oh. why Andromeda has the short hair similar to what Artemis would have at one, one point. Gotcha. Um, so I was just like, ooh, folks are going to, I'm like, well, you know, maybe sometimes black women come out of well with straight hair. I don't know, but... <laughs> This <laughs> like, can't like go press through the well. Yes. <laughs> so I'm just like, we're keeping it brown. We're not changing that at all. Um, she's just gonna have to have a little, you know. I mean, you know, she has some some Cherokee or like what do black folks like to say? A little, LOL. little native, <laughs> little Native American in me. That's why, yeah. yes. Um, I was was like, or hell, she could be Afro-Latino. At this point, it does not matter to me. She just stays black. That is the most important thing. So, um, yeah. She got a a sew in on the way in. Yeah, she got a little Naomi, um, (laughs) little Nia Nia Long uh, action coming out the well. Because that's who she looked like to me um, when Nia Long was on uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, my God. Yes, 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 yes. yes. That's so accurate. Wow. Um, Well, I mean... I have one question for you. Do you think yeah. Black History Month exists in Themyscira? <laughs> so that's <laughs> probably not. But if anything, Black History Month should definitely exist on Krakoa. So I'm just putting that out there. That's totally different. It's Marvel, um, mm-hmm. totally X-Men and stuff. But it should be existing over there because I'm sorry. Just you are either mutant or not. No, we need to have a little further discussion on that. But a wholly, a totally different podcast. Right. I wonder who made the decision on if you could only be mutant or not. I wonder if that was a white person. Mm. I don't think that it was. Oh, all signs point to indeed. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Stephanie, do you think you would ever be interested in writing Storm? Oh, so I go from yes and no. I'm uh, like, would you would you write Kinky Storm from Extreme X Men? Because oh, absolutely, would. Again, I just remembered. I just want to add an asterisk again because Living Heroes features Kinky Storm. Oh, great! Duh. So you in an official, Storm. yeah. So an official, mm-hmm. uh, maybe. So here's the thing, and okay. what I've learned with writing Nubia. Um, wow. Writing, <laughs> writing a black superheroine takes so much if you want this character to be fully realized on the page. And I don't okay. mean like so much for me, the writer. I mean, just is editorial going to say yes? Okay. And so far, I haven't had to fight with that. Okay. Um, my fear with Storm, though, is similar to Nubia with the fan base that she had. And she really didn't have the history. Storm has the history. And the fan base to go with it. So you're competing with that. And I've even seen like with some of the better iterations of Storm that I've read, like from Vita, how much they had to deal with from simply, you know, making it clear that <laughs> Storm has still has thoughts and agency even when T'Challa is around. Mm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, 
depending on what they allow me to do. So like my storm, it would be again dealing, going back to some of this interpersonal stuff because having storm fight every five days, that's great. But I'm not really learning much more about Storm. I know that she's an Omega level mutant, but is she still grappling with I'm Storm, the goddess, and also Storm, the leader of the X-Men, and also Storm, um, you know, Queen of Wakanda and all these other things. Like I would like a more in-depth, like let's like what's that interpersonal? Like, what's going on there? So if they allow me to do it, it'd be like a Logan, old Logan situation, is how I would like to write. <laughs> write my storm where she is older now gritty maybe she's renounced being queen and all of these other things and kind of gone into seclusion and there's something that kind of brings her out of that and we then get to do kind of like this backtrack thing where we find out what was the breaking point for storm what did that look like and why did it break her and how did she get here and how is she going to work her way back to being storm goddess of all things weather and just this really complicated character who deserves so much more, even though she has her own book now, yeah. sort of. I was going to say that Vita hands down wrote one of the best storms yeah. ever, right? With Marauders. Was it number 13, I think? Yeah. Where, <laughs> yeah. Everybody should just read that issue, first of all, because it was so, so good. And then I was also thinking about the other times that older, you said Old Man Logan, so it's like Old Lady Storm. Whenever Older Storm shows up in the Magic series and then also in Days of Future Past, always really good, right? So I'm just like, yeah, why don't we see more of that character? Yeah, let's dive into that. I, you know, Let's have Stephanie dive into that, everybody. (laughs) Yes, so to Monica, to answer your question, yes, yes, but on very specific terms. Got you. It's scary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that like within Themyscira, like, and Wonder Woman in general, like, there's always been, like, a veil of, like, white feminist, like, ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we know, like, Black feminism is, like, inherently intersectional, where it's, like, the various waves of, like, white feminism have always had, like, tunnel vision. So, mm-hmm. like, how did you approach the ideological praxis of Nubia and the Amazons, like, along, the, along like, the feminist, like, timeline? Um, who definitely not from the 50s and 60s, I can tell you that much. Uh, so I would say something more, more current, um, because like again, thinking of them as scary, you're just like, oh, yeah, it's just this island full of women, so it's all great because no men are there, but like false, that's not true mm-hmm. <laughs> because women can just be just as terrible all to right. one another. Um, so actually kind of speaking to that um, and showing it a little bit and also like their treatment of Medusa and thinking of, uh, you know, when we think of sexual assault survivors and how sometimes other women can be just as bad as far as blaming victims and just shifting the blame everywhere but where it needs to go. Right. Um, So just kind of thinking in terms of, you know, let's all look in the mirror. Um, you know, let's, of course, have, um, you know, our respect for one another, but like show that it's just not all what I just recently read something. I'm just like utopias are meant for blondes or something like that. And I'm blanking on who said that or where that where that's from. But I'm that like, was who also said that? what's their Twitter handle? <laughs> no, 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 it was, 
Not only did they have a Twitter handle, this is from an actual textbook. Oh, and wow. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, but just kind of keeping that in mind, too, it was just like, to me, it wouldn't be very womanist or feminist of me to show this utopia with absolutely no problems because that's not true. Mm-hmm. Also, if I can get a slight use out of my classics degree that I believe I told you all off the air I got because <laughs> Troy. when I was 18, I saw the movie Troy. <laughs> I can't. I think I just liked movies, but I was like, how do you turn that into a job? Listen, and no oh one God. was like, here's how. They were like, I don't know. What are you doing now? I'm like, I don't know. What? <laughs> totally, totally understandable. So utopia in Greek, there's two U's. There's E-U and O-U. Mm-hmm. E-U means good. O-U mm-hmm. means no. And so utopia, because we drop the E or the O, is both a good place that is no place. And so I think that really fits with what you're describing, Stephanie, about like utopias are always a problem because of who builds them and who mm-hmm. does it get to be a utopia for? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All the smart things that Essie just said. Wow, you're so smart. No, man, I smoke way too many drugs to remember most of the things that I actually <laughs> learned. But when I do remember one, I'm like, ooh, let's make somebody else's money worth it. Oh, my god! Because I went to school on scholarship, so it wasn't my money. Um, Yeah, God, I'm loving this conversation so much. I'm learning, like, so much through it. So I'm... I'm just so grateful. I that's what I wanted to say. I guess that's all I have to add at this moment is like, <laughs> this is beautiful, and I love all of you so much. All right, Sarah, we we we're letting you loose. Go. <laughs> okay. Well, I just wanted to talk about how <laughs> whenever whenever you talked about um, you collectively, but all of us collectively talked about how a utopia is not exactly as perfect as it seems, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I was thinking, too, because we talked only a little bit about Barbara Minerva, and I'm cracking up just because I'm, like, always trying to bring it back to Barbara. <laughs> so, like... I just started dying <laughs> in my study. I was like, I knew it! <laughs> Every time a Wonder Woman conversation comes up, I'm just like, how do I make this be about Barbara? You're so like, yes, and uh, Barbara Minerva. And people are like, what? <laughs> I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm obsessed. But we're going to talk about Barbara. That first, uh, that first arc with her, we were talking a little bit about George Perez and the way that his run put a lot of depth into the women so that even a character like Cersei, who normally just shows up to knock things over and be like, <laughs> oh, was that yours? Ha <laughs> ha, knocked it over, asshole. You know, like that kind of lady who I love. I always love those ladies when they show up in comics, but they're so uh, kind of one-dimensional, right? It's like a Celine from the X-Men or something mm-hmm. where they're just like, ha ha, I'm here to ruin your day. <laughs> they just like stomp on your foot and you're like, ah, what was that? Why did, oh, she's cool. Whatever. We'll see what she's up to later. But I love those characters, but I think that whenever he comes in, he there was a lot of depth that was added to Barbara Minerva. But one of the things that I think was so interesting about it is, is that whenever I think about Wonder Woman and I think about white feminism, there's almost like a built-in critique with Barbara Minerva because the way that she's like 
I'm going to go mine cultures for, you know, ancient rock that's going to do this and that. She ends up causing a lot of problems for herself doing that. She ruins her own life. But a lot of the stuff is built from the pressure that she feels to succeed in a world of a bunch of of men. So I think that it's just kind of it's always a layered conversation. So I was curious what you think about that whenever we're talking about more or less all of this, I guess, like the way that that these villains kind of end up with this greater personality that's a lot more fleshed out. But then at the same time, you're like, you, Barbara is still actively the villain, right? As much as we sympathize with Barbara, sometimes you're just like, you're still definitely a bad person. <laughs> like you do horrible things. And it's kind of holding Wonder Woman in account in some ways. Mm-hmm. But I just don't, I don't think people have gone there with it enough. Like I always want them to push that a little bit harder with her because I think that people try to sympathize with her too much uh, sometimes. And you're just like, okay, cool. But like, also she's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but but like, I feel like that, that should be something that's leaned into more because those are the best Villains for the type of character, like when you have characters like Diana. Right. Um, where again, like we already know that Diana is KOing somebody in two seconds. Like the moment that they breathe, they're right. also now knocked <laughs> out. We get that. Like, is it really cool to see her like break stuff in half and punch stuff and fly around the sun or whatever? Sure. But the more compelling stories have always been the ones where you have Diana mm. kind of really question and look at that last of truth like am I really getting the answers that I should be getting probably not also why am I kind of forcing folks to tell me the truth I should maybe work on my communication skills and get that mm-hmm. out of them myself so it's something that needs to be even Cersei yeah I feel like is another character that if we add a little bit more depth we could have some more fun with um and her the the villains that serve her the best are the ones where sure you want to sympathize with them but also you need to remember they are horrendous like bad <laughs> truly an unlikable human being and if you read the first arc with Barbara Minerva Oof. i feel like almost anybody is like nope <laughs> No, this is a bad person. Yeah, she is a <clears throat> rough as stuff, that Barbara yeah. Minerva. <laughs> but she is she's also condemned for it in this way that I think is interesting because I'm like, I don't know how intentional that part of the story is, I guess. But there's this whole thing where she's definitely just being awful, but everything is terrible for her, like going forward. Like her life is clearly hell, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I like it sometimes when the two of them do find some common ground and like, you know, work. I mean, I don't know, like team up a little bit. I guess it's mm-hmm. another excuse for me to bring up Vita, but yes. Vita wrote a really great story involving the two of them in the Wonder Woman uh, 80th anniversary issue where it's just like, hey, you know, we're still going to fight after this, but we got to save these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that story. That was a highlight. That issue is really good because there's everybody. Everybody who's ever even thought about Wonder Woman is in that issue. Yeah, yeah, I love that too. 
of course, no matter when we're talking about Wonder Woman, Sarah's going to bring it back to Barbara. Listen, so. I just want to talk about Barbara. So <laughs> I feel like it's very on brand. Um, Sarah, I need you to write her one day, seriously. I, I swear right? to God, I'm just like, all? I have so many ideas. Mm. <laughs> we all need this desperately. And she'll still be horrible. Trust me. I will write oh. the most horrible character. Like, <laughs> I've read your, I have read your horror, Sarah. I know I, just how despicable she will be. <laughs> I want people to cry and I want people to despise her. So those two <laughs> things I will combine. So Steph, I'm curious, you know, you are, you've been reading comics, I think since your little eyes opened, you were just like, hand me comics, please, is what I assume your little baby self was doing with like those tiny hands kids do when they want something. Comics, please. So how did you first run into Wonder Woman? And when did her queerness become apparent to you? And, you know, and I'm saying Wonder Woman, but I'm kind of meaning like the whole mythos, as you know. So funny enough, it wasn't even comics. It was through, uh, I think, either Justice League or maybe Superman, the animated series. One of the two. But I felt like that was the first time um, that I actually paid attention to Wonder Woman. And like even before then, I'm pretty sure like I had seen the shield and of course the crest and all of that. And maybe an episode or two of the uh, 77 Wonder Woman show, because I'm pretty sure when we didn't have cable, uh, that was replaying somewhere. And I was probably watching because I was like, ooh, superhero stuff. So I want to say either one of those, but also... Her queerness definitely came into effect also during Justice League. Because there's an episode where she goes out with, uh, I think she's a princess or an heiress or something. And it's like like this ladies night out, bachelorette type of situation. And I kept thinking, is she still going to marry Randall Savage? Because <laughs> it kind of looks like y'all just want to maybe jet set, like take this party elsewhere. Like take it back to Themyscira because... I don't, sweetie, I don't think you should be marrying. Well, you shouldn't be marrying him because he's Randall Savage, but also <laughs> you just should not be marrying him. That show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, queer vibes. Always between her and Varda too, right? Oh like, my God. Come on. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I get it because Scott does seem like a cool guy. So I'm oh, glad absolutely. that Varda is married to Scott, but also I'm just like, come on. Like, Isn't he one of your favorite wife guys, Sarah? Oh, I yeah, I have a short list of wife guys because lesbians love wife guys. Like, that's our favorite person because we're like, you love your wife. I love your wife. Like, <laughs> you're like, this is a great kind of man. We should get more I, of these. <laughs> these guys rule. Like, yeah, we love wife guys. And I particularly love wife guys. It's basically Carter Hall when he's not being a creep and um, maybe like three other wife guys in comics. <laughs> There's, There's also like enough. in bombshells. Constantine's kind of a wife guy. kind of a wife guy. And it's guy. really, right. it's like the best he ever is. You're just like, look yeah. at what a cutie pie. He's actually lovely instead of fucking everyone's lives up all the time. He's a little is- bit of a wife guy to Oliver, right? Like I'm in the. <laughs> He's like, look at this guy. He's all giant. <laughs> look at this handsome this man. I'm his wife. Oh, so cute. I know. Oh it God, is so that cute. Really anyway, so very back few. Back to Wonder Very Woman. few wife guys in comics. Um. And we need yeah. more. Well, you know, it's, it's cool because I feel like what's neat about Wonder Woman, right, is like there's this huge world. And again, it goes back to what you were saying, too, about like the Bat family. I think that... It's weird that we don't apply that more to the Amazons and to Wonder Woman because it's like there's so many of mm-hmm. there are so many Wonder Women, in fact, not even just like me being cheeky. 
like literally people who wear the mantle in some variation or another, you know, Wonder Girl, whatnot. But I was just thinking about, and I know you're a big fan from our conversation for FlameCon, but I was thinking about Nubia Real One and what a fun comic that is, how it looks at queerness sort of with Nubia's moms in that case. And I'm just curious, like, it must be so fun to be writing a character that's in such a revival and being seen through so many different lenses, almost like for the first time, not even almost like quite literally for the first time. And so I'm curious, did Nubia Real One influence you at all? Do you see your comics in conversation with Nubia Real One? Also, like, just tell me everything you thought about Nubia Real One. <laughs> <laughs> um, absolutely, because uh, just like Nubia having um, two, two queer moms was... I don't know, like that just kind of was the permission to say, hey, it's been done. Like, like we've got some things going on here. So like, let's keep this energy going. Um, and it's absolutely really cool to have the two books in conversation with one another because Nubia, the character, absolutely deserves. But a lot of times when Black superheroes who are not T'Challa or Storm, or really more so T'Challa, you don't have many different um, just kind of iterations of them or them in both, you know, comics, uh, YA, or any of that. Like, it's just the one thing. So it's really cool that Nubia has, she's in Nubia Real One, which is, you know, like your YA book. And then we have uh, Nubia and the Amazons, which is, um, you know, in the main DC universe, whatever. Um, but that's just really cool that those two books are able to exist at the same time and so closely together too. It did feel kind of magical to read Real One, you know, this reimagining Nubia as this teenager, you know, in, in a high school. Oh my God, the moment when like Diana shows up and she, oh, I can't, I can't. I'll start <laughs> weeping on the pod and we don't have time for that today. No tears, Fleenor. And then to like get Nubia... A, we get to see her in Wonder Woman Black and Gold, which was a very cool short run you did. Uh, just one story in a collection of stories. And then now she's got her own standalone. It just feels like she's emerging in this really beautiful way. And I think it's particularly cool that your badass self gets to be a piece of that emergence. Well, I appreciate that. And there is uh, more Nubia on the way. I can't say how or when, but <laughs> like Nubia is not going, um, you know, back on the shelf anytime soon. She's not going back to Doom's door. I love no. that. <laughs> I would hope that um, the amount of work that the entire creative team has put in has kind of made that a little hard to do because um, I'm just excited for this trade. Mm -hmm. to come out uh, because of some of the stuff that we have planned for it and to have like this collection of all of the Nubia things um, to just further say like, hey, if you miss it the first time around, it's okay because now you get to enjoy it in all its glory and maybe some other stuff. Yes. If Nubia and the Amazons were to be made a movie or a series, who do you imagine either voicing her or acting her? Oh, so, oh, how am I blanking on her name? Uh, she was just in um, Coming to America. Uh, she was the daughter that, uh, Kiki Lane, right? Kiki Lane, am I correct? Yes. Yes, Miss, yes, I'm thinking of, yeah, I'm thinking of Kiki Lane, but that's because of Old Guard and also that movie. And I think that she's really great when it comes to action, but also selling kind of the more touching moments as well. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's an actress that comes to mind. I have not thought further than that. But now if we are saying Nibia is going to be a bit older, then, ooh, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, but 
Angela Bass would be my go-to. Angela like, Bassett. <laughs> everything. Yeah, I mean, yes. why not? Just because of the arms and just oh, Angela well, Bassett. It's, it's what do you think the then arms. of uh, Yatiti <laughs> Oh my God, yes. Oh, yes. Wouldn't she rule as Nubia? She absolutely would. Oh my God, Essie. Mm-hmm. Thank you for because I'm like, I know I was blanking on somebody, but I would say those She's three, so good in American Gods. She was like the best part of her. She is. Um, truly. I would just love to see her on Themyscira, period. But absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, please speak into existence, you know, a Nubia in the Amazons movie or just a Nubia movie or animated series. Because while writing a series, that's what I had in mind. I was like, let me make this as cinematic as possible. Hell yeah. Um, Letha has definitely come through with the art because issue six, some of the best acting I've seen um, so far the series. Oh, amazing. That's a really good question, Monica. You rule. Yeah. Thank you, Monica. No worries. Thank you. I was thirsting hey, after Angela Bassett's arms. Like, <laughs> yeah. <in the> <laughs> it's like the arms. We're like, let's take a cookie break <laughs> slash cry our eyes out break for Angela Bassett's arms. All fair. Uh, there's like the trial of the Amazon. So you're working on this giant cast of people now, right? Ooh, yes. And first off, what a great experience. Because um, again... <laughs> one to like go from uh the two pages of Marble Voices Legacy to like the story and uh Wonder Woman Black and Gold that I wrote now the Nubia series and then they were like, Oh, but we're not done yet, or you're not done yet. We're <laughs> also gonna be involved in the first major Wonder Woman crossover event in decades. Uh, I was like, wait, are you sure? So that's been really fun because of the folks that I've been able to like meet and like work with, like Becky and Michael Clunan, um, Joel Jones, uh, Jordi Belair, like all of these folks whose work I already enjoyed. Um, so to come together and like do an event and oh my God, events are a lot. Um, in <laughs> case anybody was wondering or didn't know that, just wow. So that's why anytime the X-Men have an event, I'm just like, let me go ahead and get my prayer candles and get in the war closet because <laughs> the writers, artists, colorists, letterer, everybody deserves some peace because you are so wild to want to do events all the time. <laughs> it's too much. It's but it's really much. fun. Yes. And now this one is gonna, yeah. <laughs> All the spies you'll tell you can tell where I wrote because it's just like, oh wait, now for a little, now for a little gay, like parsley. Let's, let's <laughs> just sprinkle They're in fighting, it. They're fighting, but like let me put this <laughs> like in here too. Parsley. Yes. <laughs> gay parsley. Yeah. Just a sprinkle. I forgot that I didn't ask about like your working relationship with Vita and how that and how that went. Oh, well, well, uh, fantastic, lovely, um, (laughs) just honestly a dream. And I would say I feel very fortunate that for like my first official go at like professional comics at this capacity um, has been like under the wing of Vita because um, I've learned so much, one, but Vita just really fostered um, just like this environment where I didn't feel afraid to make mistakes. Same thing with the, my our editor, Brittany um, Hoser, was also really big on that. And I can tell <laughs> that I learned some things. I didn't just like nod my head and say, mm-hmm, and nothing went in, like some stuff stuck because I went back to read. Uh, I think Brittany, like her note for issue five was like, 
Steph, I think this is the best one you've written yet. And like, that's not saying that the other ones haven't been good, but like, no, I can tell like you have been able to apply all the little things that you've learned all the way up until now to this. And the same thing with issue six, because when I went back to read my very first draft issue one, I was like, what the the fuck is this? Who wrote this? It was me, of course. <laughs> Being a writer is the weirdest thing on the planet because, like, your skill always outpaces what you've actually written. Mm-hmm. Because by yeah. writing it, you become a better writer. Yeah. What are any of us doing? Why do we do this to ourselves? It's I don't awful. Know. <laughs> it's awful. I don't know, but um, I will say that I don't think I would have had that amount of just growth and. Just, again, like feeling supported and confident to be daring and to um, just really, I don't know, like learn to inject my voice into um, this world and these characters in a way that doesn't overshadow them. But also like, yeah, you know, Stephanie probably wrote that. So Mm -hmm. that I feel like definitely came from Vita as well, because for Vita's work, um, whenever I read it, I'm like, yeah, Vita wrote this. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's just always something that I would... Like for anything that I write, even if it's a tweet where you're just like, yes, Stephanie wrote that for good or for worse. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, I I think we may have covered everything and then some, which is always the way I feel at the end of great conversations with the three of you. You are all such bright lights in the world. Uh, Sarah, you know, I always love you, Monica. What a ray of sunshine. I'll always love you. Steph, it's always good to have you back. This is officially your seventh episode at BOC. Oh, wow. I'm going to read them off. Episode 12, episode 26, 59, 67, 76, and 99. So I think that means this is the second longest we've gone without having you on the pod, and I will not let it happen again. (laughs) So I'm going to put that on the record right now. I would like to go ahead and invite myself sometime in May. I'll tell you all why once we are not recording, but um, it'll be a very great reason to bring me back on. But I mean, not even just talk about stuff that I'm doing, just anytime, you know, I'm I'm happy to come visit with you all. Yeah. You know, it's always a delight to have you. Interviewing you is always so much fun. And, you know, I think Sarah pointed this out off air, but that Halloween episode where you made us watch all those weird, scary movies. That was so fun. So we'll have to do that again as well. Uh, so, Steph, if people want to find you on social media or online, where should they look? Ooh, don't look too hard, but if you <laughs> must, um, at Steph underscore I underscore Will. That's for TikTok, Instagram, and also Twitter. Beautiful. And Monica, thank you so much for being here as a host. Why don't you let people know where they can find you? Um, you can find me on IG at Audrey's.Revenge.Film. And on Twitter, you can find me at Audrey Revenge. And that is A-U-D-R-E. Amazing. Listeners, if you didn't have a pen out, don't you worry your pretty little head. We will put that in the show notes so you can go find Steph and Monica. And if you're not following them already, make your life better. Do it. Um, Yeah, thank you all so much. Kate, thank you so much for editing the sound. Listeners, we could be here without you, but you know the joke. It'd be so awkward. So thank you for making it not awkward. And I can tell my family, I have a podcast and people listen to it. That's an important qualification. (laughs) My family's like, I don't know what you do. And I'm like, I have a podcast and people listen to me. Uh, So yeah, thank you for making me legit in the eyes of my family. (laughs) I'm putting a lot on y'all.
Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at Bitches on Comics and on Instagram at at Bitches on Comics. Our website is, brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes. And we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.